0: Welcome to PWC's accounting podcast series. I'm Heather Horn. Today, we're talking about joint venture accounting. It's an area where we're getting more and more questions. So to make sure you're getting the accounting right, Matt Sabatini, a partner in our national office, is my guest today. He's going to give us a crash course on how joint accounting works and key considerations. After you're done listening, check out previous podcasts from Matt. He's done quite a few of them with us, and all of them are in the show notes. Stick around till the end of this episode to hear his favorite. And with that, let's get started. Matt, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about joint venture accounting. And I know many of our listeners are going to be familiar with this topic, but they may need a few reminders what we mean when we say joint venture, because I know from my own experience talking to people within PwC and outside PwC, sometimes people use that term to mean a few different things. Um, But maybe just to level set, can you explain what a joint venture is? And then perhaps why we're talking about this right now?
1: Yeah, sure, Heather. So definitely a good question, right? And that's one of the reasons we're, we're doing the podcast is to try to shed some light into what we mean when we're talking about joint ventures more broadly, and what we mean when we talk about an accounting joint venture or, you know, how to account for your interest in or the joint ventures financial statements itself, right? So there can be there can be a difference. I think when we're talking about commercial um, joint ventures, the more broad definition, we're really talking about a, a business venture undertaken by two or more investors who are coming together with a common purpose and to achieve a common goal. Um, it could be for one of many reasons. It could be entry point into emerging markets. It could be combining of complementary technologies. It could be access to new sources of funding or, or opportunities that one of the partners wouldn't have on their own. Um, so commercially, there could be a lot of reasons, um, a lot of broad reasons for companies to want to partner together uh, to try to achieve economies of scale or to try to achieve uh, leverage that they wouldn't otherwise be able to achieve on their own.
0: So then, Matt, let's start with commercial joint ventures, and then we'll talk a little bit about what we mean when we talk about accounting for a joint venture or for an interest in joint venture. So from your perspective, what are some of the key sort of considerations when you're looking at a joint venture, again, from sort of this commercial perspective?
1: From a commercial perspective, the most important thing that uh, investors or partners who are going to work together on a joint basis need to figure out is how it's all going to work, right? So being prepared at the beginning in terms of what's the goal of the joint venture, what's going to reside in the joint venture versus what's going to Uh, be contributed by by each of the partners on an ongoing basis as much as the joint venture partners can put in place up front um, the better off it's going to be over the life of the joint venture right so some of the things i think the partners are going to want to think about up front in the contractual agreements is the level of control that's going to be afforded to each of the partners and how that governance is going to work is it going to be through a board of directors is it going to be through management representation um, again, getting that sorted out up front is going to avoid potential disagreements or disharmony uh, down the road. I think the level of economic interest held by each partner, you know, generally in a joint venture, your, your default position is it seems like it's going to be 50-50 sharing of economics. Um, but we've seen commercial joint ventures where it hasn't been exactly proportionate or exactly equally shared. Some, some investors might want a preference on their investment. Some investors might want a different type of stock for various reasons. I think, um, assessing the source and, and the amount of funding that's going to be necessary over the joint ventures life, is something that's very important to get your hands around upfront. Um, because, you know, where we see disagreements or disharmony amongst the partners, a lot of times is, you know, when there isn't enough funding upfront or where it hasn't really been clearly laid out where that additional funding is going to come from down the road. The other kind of big elephants in the room when it comes to joint ventures is what are we going to do? In a situation where there's a disagreement amongst the partners, so what are those dispute resolution mechanisms? And it's really important to have those contractually laid out up front, again, to avoid a situation down the road where the partners are looking at each other across a, a board table at a standstill. Right. So, so what do we see in terms of dispute resolution? It's, it could range from um, a golden share, which is really a tiebreaker vote. We we'll talk a little bit more about that later. We've seen dispute mechanisms like arbitration, which again will bring a third party into to really help alleviate any disagreements between the partners. Uh, and we've seen agreements work in some you know, predefined exit mechanisms to the extent that there's a disagreement or a, a standstill amongst the partners. There's pre-wired uh, mechanisms by which one party can buy the other out or where the joint venture is uh, ultimately liquidated. So those are all things I think are, are super important to kind of get settled up front to having the contractual agreements that are going to uh, lead to a more successful partnership amongst the, uh, amongst the investors.
0: So Matt, let me ask you a question before we go on and talk about accounting. And I just want to make sure we get this. So are we seeing more joint ventures right now? Or why is this an important topic to be covering today?
1: I mean, we're seeing in the commercial sense, a lot of partnering amongst corporations we're seeing a lot of collaboration uh we're seeing you know more joint ventures frankly but also we're seeing a lot of arrangements um that you know commercially represent a joint undertaking by two or more investors that don't meet the definition of an accounting joint venture and uh, it does lead to some confusion in terms of the financial reporting of of that entity and the investor's financial reporting going forward
0: that is a perfect lead-in to my next question. So, Matt, you alluded to this and I said it up front is that we do see a lot of ventures that um you know between two parties that are called commercially joint ventures, but then when you actually start looking at accounting models, there's something else entirely. So, when we talk about joint venture accounting or accounting for an interest in a joint venture, what are the key characteristics we should be thinking about?
1: Right. So for a joint venture to be an accounting joint venture, it really needs to meet a few characteristics. The big one, right? The big, the big characteristic that your mind automatically goes to. And that's a good thing because it's important for it to exist is joint control. So when you see two or more investors come together in order for it to meet the, the definition uh, under, under gap to be accounted for as a joint venture, that control must be shared. Right. So that means decisions in all areas that are important to the joint venture that are kind of essential for the joint venture to accomplish its goals uh, and its business purpose, all of those decisions are going to require the consent or the participation of each of the partners. So that's that's really what we mean by joint control. I'd say um, you know, you can have a situation where you have more than two investors, which seems a little counterintuitive to joint control. But the way that would work is you just need, if you had three investors, you would need the consent or approval of all three investors in order to establish that control is joint. The commercial joint venture issue that we talked about earlier around dispute resolution mechanism, this is what I wanted to come back to here because there's a lot of interplay between some of the things we talked about that are important to get set up front commercially and how they play into into the accounting. And for dispute resolutions, I mentioned a tiebreaker or a golden share. If that exists in your contractual arrangements, that's usually going to be indicative that you don't have joint control because a tiebreaker that goes to one party over the other is going to give that party ultimate unilateral control over over the important decisions. Uh, so you want to be careful um, when you're when you're making this evaluation to make sure that you've you really thought through all the contractual provisions and some of the things you're trying to achieve commercially may impact your accounting conclusions down the road.
0: So Matt, I have a few specific questions on this. So 6040 joint control?
1: So 6040 is generally not going to be joint control. Um, usually we would look for something along the lines of 50-50. What I would say though is if all of the decisions, even in a sixty forty situation, required the consent of both parties, and that could manifest itself either through veto rights or blocking rights, or through representation on the board, because you might have sixty forty in terms of voting shares, but you know a four person board with two and two, and if all of the important decisions around the venture uh, activities reside at the board level, you still might be able to get to joint control.
0: All right, so it's is a matter of judgment. That was part of my question. But then, Matt, my next question would be: What if you have a situation where one of the partners makes some of the decisions and the other partner makes the other decisions? Still, sort of feels joint-ish.
1: Right. I, I like that definition. It's joint-ish, um, but I don't know that it meets the threshold that you know to need to get to to have joint control in order to be an accounting joint venture. It's really important that the consent is necessary for all of the important decisions around the joint venture. So, you know, you could have one party in a joint venture that's really, really qualified um, and really has expertise in the manufacturing process. And one party that really has that expertise in the marketing process. You really still need both parties to be able to approve all decisions relating to both of those activities in order to establish that joint control exists.
0: All right. So it sounds like that might be more important for our VIE discussion, which We won't bring up further here, so (laughs)
1: people um, will thank us for that.
0: Yes. yes. All right. So I won't. I won't do more scenarios, but I did bring this up just to point out that you really have to think that this cannot be superficial, and it's very easy to say it's a joint venture because there's two people involved, or to your point, three. But it's really not an accounting joint venture. So we talked so much about control, but is joint control the only requirement to conclude that you have an accounting joint venture?
1: It's not. In fact, it's funny that uh, I, I start with joint control, and I do think it's it's an important place to start. But if you read the the codification uh, definition of a joint venture in the master glossary, joint control isn't even isn't even mentioned in the definition. It came from an old axec paper uh, in 1979, but it still does exist in terms of the overarching concept of what a joint venture is. So when you, when you actually do jump into the definition of a of a joint venture in the codification. Um, the other criteria are equally as important in fact the SEC staff uh, has mentioned at various points uh, most recently in a, in a speech at one of the ACPA conferences that joint control by itself is not enough you have to actually meet all of the criteria in order to use joint venture account that being said uh, what are the other criteria so um, it's important that a separate legal entity exists so when we're talk- talking about an accounting joint venture it needs to be a corporation or a partnership or an LSE or a trust it needs to actually have a a form uh, around it. So, a collaboration agreement is is a common example of a contractual relationship between two partners, where maybe a separate legal entity doesn't exist, and it would be inappropriate to try to use uh, joint venture accounting for an arrangement like that. The joint venture really needs to be established for the mutual benefit of the partners, um, such that they're sharing in the risks and the and the rewards of the joint venture, right? So. You don't expect to see a joint venture where one party has a significant disproportionality in terms of the, the risk and rewards. That would be uncommon, right? It's meant to be kind of a mutually beneficial undertaking for, for both parties. The idea of a joint venture, right, the, the business goal or purpose of it really needs to be to enter into a new market, new product, new technology, or to combine existing technologies that each party bring to the table. Um, or possibly to pool resources, um, for the purposes of increasing efficiencies in production or other kind of manufacturing facilities. So that, so that's the idea. The, I know the definition sounds vague, um, in terms of what you usually see as a gap codification definition, but really the way it's written is, is a little bit vague and it's meant to allow folks to bring a little bit of judgment to the purpose and the design of the joint venture entity itself to see whether it qualifies or whether it doesn't.
0: Where is this codified?
1: So, it's, it's ASC 323, uh, is where it's used most often. And that's in the, uh, the equity method section of the codification. But when I'm looking for it, I generally look in the master glossary. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, again, we use terminology, um, for, for purposes of making things clear. We're talking about commercial joint ventures and we're talking about acquaint- accounting joint ventures. The codification actually uses the term corporate joint venture. Not to make this more confusing, but that's where you'll find it in the master glossary.
0: So corporate joint venture equals
1: accounting joint venture. That's right.
0: All right. And then, sorry, I think I might've cut you off. Wait, do you have anything else on that definition of a joint venture?
1: Yeah, at the risk of rambling on here. Um, I guess I wanted to just make a couple of other points you know, I know I said that there needs to be a mutual benefit and a mutual sharing of risk and rewards. It doesn't always have to be 50-50, right? It could be a little bit off um, from 50-50. That's not a requirement. Um, so when you mentioned 60-40, that's why I didn't automatically jump to, no way, that's not a joint venture. It could be. Um, but again, you, you don't expect a, a sharing to be so disproportionate that it's really for the benefit of one more than the other. The other thing is, you know. I'll, I'll bring up the commercial elements that we mentioned before. Um, one of the things commercially that that makes sense for two parties getting together is to think about how you're going to exit. Um, So a lot of times you'll see commercial joint ventures that include um, liquidation provisions or puts and calls where one party can buy the other side out. And those may actually limit one party's exposure to risk on the downside or potentially cap one party's benefits on the upside. And so if you see, a, a, you know, again, a commercial joint venture agreement that has these puts or calls, that may be indicative that there isn't a mutual uh, sharing of risk and rewards, and it may not meet the definition of a corporate joint venture.
0: So, Matt, before we get into the accounting, I gave a few examples myself, but can you give us sort of a general framework for what wouldn't be a joint venture?
1: yeah absolutely. Because sometimes, again, I mentioned that the definition of a joint venture is a little bit broad and can be judgmental, so sometimes it's helpful to think about it from the reverse, right? So an entity that is a subsidiary of one of the investors is definitely not a joint venture, right? Because in that situation, you have control residing with a with an investor, and you'd never get to to joint control. So a sub would never be a joint venture. I mentioned earlier, collaboration arrangements, you know any other types of contractual arrangements between two parties would not be an accounting joint venture. So there's no legal entity. It's a, a a staged or strategic disposition of a business generally also wouldn't be an accounting joint venture. So what do I mean by that? A lot of times we see um, companies who strategically want to exit a business or exit a, a geographic location, and they'll do it in stages, right? Maybe bring in a co-investor, or a private equity fund, or, or even a strategic investor with the ultimate goal to get out. So generally, that's not going to be run for the mutual benefit of both parties, and there's not going to be a lot of active involvement by both parties because it's a means to an end, um, as opposed to a collaboration to try to run run a business jointly. Um, and the other thing is, you know, a financing transaction. Generally, you know, if the main goal is to go out and, and infuse cash into one of your subsidiaries through either a private equity investment or, or from a lender, generally, is not going to meet the definition of a joint venture.
0: So with all that background, then, let me ask the million-dollar question. Why do we even care if it's an accounting joint venture?
1: Right. It's a good question. I, I, I need to apologize in, in advance if my answer is going to let you down. So generally speaking, there's just not a lot of guidance around how an, an accounting joint venture should account for the assets it receives from the, from the investment partners. So ultimately, there's, there's a lot of judgment in, involved there. Historically, joint ventures for their financial statements, and again, I'm talking about accounting joint ventures, will record the assets or businesses they receive. Um, as contributions from the investors at their carrying value. Okay, so that's a, a historical approach. Can I point you to an area in the codification where it says to do that? Unfortunately, I can't. Um, I can <laughs> I can point you to other areas in, in GAAP that, that don't necessarily apply. Um, and you kind of back your way into this carrying value treatment. The SEC staff is aware of the diversity in practice. In fact, the SEC st- staff has in the past um, taken a view that Certain joint ventures, um, certain accounting joint ventures may be able to record these contributions at fair value when when limited conditions are met. Um, Those might be, you know, one investor puts in cash and the other investor puts in assets. They have joint controls still. They're unaffiliated with one another. Uh, There's no preferences. You know, if you have really strong evidence of what the value of the the non-cash assets are, that's where the SEC staff says, well, maybe you can use fair value.
0: So, Matt you know, the whole point of a podcast is it's supposed to be just people talking, no video. I think in this case, video could have helped because when you first said I could be disappointed, in fact, I was my whole body deflated. And then when you said, can I point you to an area in the codification where this talked about, I nodded frantically. And again, you said, no, I cannot. So with that backdrop, I I think our listeners may have had some of the same reaction. However, I do know there is more to say on this topic, so I'm going to ask you some more questions. So I I do think if, and I know, again, from dealing with this on my clients, that when a company concludes joint venture and you reach this conclusion, you know, your contributions are going to be set up at this, you know, carrying value, that sometimes is not the answer that people like. And so I'm, I'm going to ask sort of a side question When you were in the practice, did you see people structuring around this guidance so people maybe didn't want accounting joint ventures?
1: It's a mixed bag. I mean, I think you see um, certain investors who expected to see the joint ventures financial statements recorded at carrying value because that's just kind of the longstanding traditional way joint ventures had accounted for their contributions. Um, so if they didn't meet the definition of an accounting joint venture, there's a little bit of surprise, um, that you might have to, have to fair value one or both of the, of the contributions to the joint venture. Uh, on the other hand, you see, um, certain, certain investors really pushing for fair value for, for numerous re- reasons, right? One of which may be it's more reflective of the most kind of recent transaction. It's more reflective of um, the negotiations that happen between the two parties because remember, when they're coming together to decide what proportion of the uh, ownership of the venture they'll have, they were thinking about this in in fair value terms. They're also thinking about the exit, usually based on what the original fair value is and what they expect the appreciation and the value of the assets to be. So investors you know, generally have fair value in mind when they're negotiating. The other thing I'll say, and we're going to get to this in a minute, is It might actually be easier for the investors um, if the joint venture were to report at fair market value for purposes of doing their own accounting. All right. So let's get into some
0: of these questions, but let's start with accounting and financial reporting by the joint venture itself. So I'm the joint venture doing my own accounting. We'll get to the investors in a few minutes. Other than this question with initial contributions, what are some of the other accounting considerations at the JV level?
1: Right. So once you get past the initial accounting, which, again, is is an exercise in and of itself, uh, you do need to think about, from a joint venture perspective, and I mentioned this earlier, how independent is the joint venture going to be in terms of its operations um, and how much dependency is there going to be between the joint venture and its investors? And a lot of times we see that manifest itself in contractual arrangements, whether it's supplier distribution agreements or uh, management services agreements or... Uh, assistance with um, sales and marketing—you'll see intercompany transactions quite frequently between a JV and its investors, and the accounting for such can be complicated. So that's one of the things we see pop up a lot. Deciding what you know basis of gap and what your accounting policies are as a joint venture can be tricky, right? Usually, if you're a standalone reporting entity, kind of up to the uh, the ownership, the board, and the and the management team to make all of these decisions. When you're dealing with a situation with two or more independent investors who both have their own bases of a gap and their own accounting policies, it can become a little bit contentious in terms of what the joint venture should use. Because it certainly can create efficiencies or inefficiencies if it's if it's different from one of the investors.
0: Okay. So that sounds like something you might want to talk about up front, similar to some of the other things you talked about earlier. But go on. What are some of the other things?
1: No, that's that's absolutely right. I'd say the other thing is meeting the financial reporting requirements of the investors, which is, you know, understanding what, what the timing is in terms of closing the books and producing the financial statements um, so that the investors can complete their, their accounting and their financial reporting in a timely basis. Also, again, probably good to get uh, straight, straight up front.
0: Yes, definitely. All right. So now let's take the perspective that I'm the investor. I just set up a joint venture meets the definition of an accounting joint venture. So what should I be thinking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, thankfully, from the investor perspective, it matters less whether the uh, entity itself is an accounting joint venture or just a commercial joint venture. The accounting for the investor is kind of outside of the joint venture world, which I think is good. So, so first, the, the investor will assess whether or not they should consolidate the entity. And again, in a joint venture, you would assume no, because governance is, uh, and, and control is shared. Um, but you're going to want to be looking at the voting rights and the board of representation rights and all of the exit mechanisms and kind of tiebreaker votes that we talked about before uh, in order to kind of complete that consolidation assessment. And not that I, you know, ever want to plug a prior podcast but you know we do have a couple of consolidation podcasts recorded that the folks can go back and listen to on that assessment if you have control you consolidate right and if you and you know that would result in all the assets and liabilities and revenue on the books of the investor if you don't you're generally going to be in the equity method so i mentioned asc 323 earlier but generally the investor would record its investment in the joint venture in one line item on the balance sheet and one line item on the uh, PL. You know, up front, you know, when you're initially recording the derecognition of whatever you contributed into the joint venture and the recognition of that equity method investment, that's gonna depend on what you're contributing to the joint venture as an as an investor. So a lot of times what we see is the contribution of an entire business. And if that's the case, you're you're working your way through derecognition of a business guidance, which is under ASCA 10, uh, there's gonna be a gain or loss. The PL on, on that derecognition, and you're going to recognize the equity method investment on your books at its fair value. And that may come with an exercise around when you derecognize a business do I have to allocate goodwill? Spoiler alert the answer is yes, you do. And that will impact kind of your gain or loss calculation there. Alternatively, you might have um, an investor who's contributing not a business, right? Non financial assets that don't constitute a business. Still, you're going to have to think about derecognition, but the model there is different. It's under ASC 610-20. Um, it's still a fair value model. You're still going to end up with a gain or loss and you're still going to record the equity method investment at its fair value. But there are some nuances in terms of what date do you measure the fair value at under 610-20 and what value you use to um, calculate the gain or loss? Are you, are you using the contributed assets? Or are you using the um, shares of the joint venture to measure your gain or loss? Is a little bit more complicated under 610-20.
0: So let me ask you a question back to consolidation. I just want to make sure it's really clear. Sure. Do you see cases where someone concludes they should consolidate a joint venture? And then how does that decision interact with the fact that there was a conclusion that there's joint control?
1: So again, I mean, the, the use of the term joint venture is a little, a little bit broader than uh, just an accounting joint venture. So I've seen situations where folks have asked the question wh- whether or not I should consolidate this joint venture. And as, as it turns out, it wasn't a joint venture at all. And in that situation, we can get to a, conclu- a conclusion of consolidation because what, what maybe had certain aspects of a joint venture wasn't really joint control, right? Control resided with one party. So perfect example might be 50, 50 share ownership, uh, a four person board of directors, two and two from each investor, but one party has a tiebreaker vote over all of the important decisions so that could be a situation where commercially things were negotiated as if it was a joint venture with all of the same kind of um, thoughts and mechanisms in place to make sure it's managed um, to benefit both parties but at the end of the day if one party has unilateral control over all of the important decisions they're going to end up consolidating so that 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 could be an example of one where you know it was labeled as a joint venture everybody thought it was a joint venture said joint venture on the top of the piece of paper uh that came across my desk, but ultimately it's a uh, consolidated subsidiary of one of the the investors.
0: All right. Well, a theme of most of our podcasts is make sure you really understand the transaction you're accounting for. And it definitely sounds like that's important here. So then again, taking this investor lens, what other considerations should I be focused on, assuming I have an accounting joint venture that I'm investing in?
1: absolutely and a lot of these considerations are are kind of just general equity method considerations for investors I plug another podcast we've done we we do have a uh, equity method podcast that talks about some of these but you know basis differences right if you're an investor and you've recorded your equity method investment at fair value and the joint venture itself is using carrying value to record the contributions of those assets you can see where the joint venture's financial statements aren't going to marry up with the investors equity method investment, right? They're reporting carrying value, I'm carrying it fair value. And you have to account for those basis differences on an ongoing basis. Um, Again, the timing of financial reporting, I mentioned this from the joint ventures perspective, it's really important for the investor to keep in mind that they're gonna need timely financial reporting. Uh, Same with intercompany transactions. Um, Again, it's gonna be dependent on the level of uh, contractual arrangements between the investors and the joint venture and and how how complex uh, and how pervasive they are in the operations. Um, but it does create um, complexity in the accounting for the investor.
0: All right. So then let me switch topics a little bit. I know the FASB has been talking about joint ventures. So can you give us some background on what they've been considering and what projects are on their agenda?
1: Sure. I think this is the other reason why it's probably a good idea we recorded this podcast now, but I didn't want to give a spoiler at the beginning. Very wise. Um, but Keep is, people listening. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, as early as 2014, The SEC, through some of its speeches, has indicated that they thought it was appropriate for the FASB to kind of revisit joint venture accounting in terms of maybe providing clarity around the definition of a joint venture, um, but also to provide guidance that's in the codification around how the joint venture should account for those contributions, which we talked about earlier. So in September of 2019, the FASB added a joint venture project to its agenda, the main goal of which was to reduce diversity in practice on these contributions um less so to provide clarity around the the definition. So the FASB's met on several occasions to discuss this new project and you know there have been some tentative decisions reached. One of which is that the contributions by the investors to the joint venture are going to be accounted for in accordance with business combination accounting under ASC 805. Um what does that mean? It, it means that the carrying value notion of uh you know the the contributions is kind of gone by the wayside. Uh, everything's going to be done as if the joint venture was the accounting acquirer of whatever assets or businesses are contributed by the investors, uh, meaning there's going to be a fair value lens applied to recording the those initial contributions in the books of the joint venture. So that, you know, when that comes out is going to be a big change.
0: Can I just clarify those? Because you say when that comes out, so there's still a lot of process to happen before that can happen, right? Because I even listening, I was thinking there's a lot of people who may not love this change. So what would come next from what they've already decided?
1: Right. So these are just tentative decisions uh, as of now. And in fact, they haven't finished their deliberations around some of the ancillary issues that go along with making such a change, including how to deal with certain basis differences that we had talked about earlier. Um, so there are still more board meetings to come. And, you know, after the board has kind of solidified some of the ancillary issues and, and, and reached consensus, we're going to see an exposure draft issued by the board. Um, I don't really have a good idea on timing as of yet, um, because there's still ongoing deliberations around some of the issues. Um, but once there's an exposure draft issued, I think that's the opportunity that listeners can, uh, can use to opine on what they think about, you know, going to a fair value model for joint venture accounting
0: all right well matt very interesting just to wrap things up then i have two final questions so if you were in an elevator with someone which we will be again soon what would you say about accounting what should you think about in this area
1: yeah i mean i think the main takeaway is make sure that you understand whether or not you've entered into just a commercial joint venture or whether or not the the venture that you've undertaken is an accounting joint venture right because that's going to be a key distinction and I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had where we started talking about joint venture accounting and where we ended was somewhere completely different because it just didn't meet those criteria that you need to meet to account for it as a joint venture. The only other thing I'd say is, you know, keep uh, keep up to date on what's going on at the FASB because much like everything in life, it's going to change. So stay plugged in.
0: All right. Those are great reminders. And then final question for you. You alluded to these other podcasts we did. So we've talked about equity method, consolidation, and now joint ventures. So if you had to pick, do you have a favorite among those topics?
1: I didn't even notice that you that you heard those subtle references I made to the podcast. I am
0: always in for plugging the podcast, Matt. Yeah,
1: it's like choosing who's your favorite child. It's it's really hard. it's really oh so really sweet. Uh, but if I had to choose, it would be the consolidation podcast.
0: All right, very good. Well, Matt, once again, love having you on, and really appreciate all the insight. No problem. Join me back here every Tuesday and Thursday for new podcast episodes. And We have something special in store for you. Join us next Tuesday for the inaugural episode of our summer series on presentation and disclosure. We've heard your feedback that you want more Back to Basics episodes, so look forward to a whole summer of them starting with next week's episode featuring podcast regular Kyle Moffitt telling you everything you didn't know you needed to know about the balance sheet. So that you never miss an episode Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast Series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved.